Hello, and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. So today, I want to talk, I feel like strategically combat fear and shame. These things which seem to hold so many back from truly walking in this life with the Lord. The freedom that Romans 8 says all of creation is longing and groaning for the sons of God, the huios, this, the mature family of God to be revealed and manifested in the world to unlock all of creation, you know, and, and stepping into the reality of what it means to be a son or a daughter of God. Those who are led of, led of the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God is what it says in there. And so um, literally combating fear and shame that came in, as, as we know, through the poisonous fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the book of Genesis, you know, and, and um, the fruit of this fruit, the, the, the poison of this fruit, which, which caused us to almost superimpose things on God that were never on him, superimpose him as this bipolar deity, this pagan, you know, superimpose things like fear and shame towards him or, you know, against him, superimpose rejection upon him towards ourselves, you know. And um, I believe, um, you know, it's just like Genesis 3, verse 9 through 11. After Adam and Eve had eaten the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, right, this tree, and God's, they start hiding from him. So up the bikini quick, Eve, you know, like they start hiding from God, and, and he's like, hey, where are you guys? He's calling out to them. Adam comes out and he says, well, I hid myself because I'm naked. To which God's like, who told you you were naked, man? Who told you you were naked? Have you, have you eaten from the tree that I told you not to eat from? And we know what came after that. But it's like when you see this reality, Adam goes from walking with God in the cool of the day to all of a sudden being afraid of God because he's ashamed of the way he is. And who changed? It wasn't God. It's like, who told you this? Who told you you were naked? Why are, you know, why do you have this projection of rejection from me to you, this shame to be around me? You know, I created you in my image, you know. And um, the lie of rejection, man, it, it bleeds into every aspect of people's lives. And if we, if, if we believe it, we can find ourselves living meaningless, fruitless lives, living for the approval of others, always afraid of being seen as different and never fully free to follow the voice of the Lord in truth and into the abundance, the life of freedom and authority of setting other people free that we're actually called to walk. And so Jesus comes as the express image of God, the word of God made flesh, you know, the description of everything of, of God, who he is, but also that Colossians 2 that we've been covering so much, you know, the fullness of deity embodied. King James says what the fullness of the Godhead you know, a word that's not there, but it works. You know, the fullness of deity that is embodied to manifest God to the world, right? But just as it says in 1 Corinthians 2, right, that if the rulers of this world would have known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. Jesus comes by stealth, constantly manifesting God and kept his, um, if you can see it, this wisdom that was hidden from, from the ancient days, kept his identity secret from the rulers of this world as they played right into his hand 
to manifest the redemption of all mankind from this poisonous fruit. And so, you know, we're, we're looking at this reality of Jesus, and I think this is some of the things we've been covering this last few weeks, of coming and manifesting himself in such a way as the, the word of God that manifests himself and speaks of the identity of who God is. And he's constantly speaking it because he can't but because he is the word of God, you know. And what were we like? Mark 2 last week, he comes and he unlocks the mind to see who he actually was. The mind which was poisoned from the fall, which was the, the rooftop, which the four paralytic, the four guys lowered the paralytic down through the rooftop. That's the, the mind of mankind and God's on the inside, Jesus on the inside. They lower this guy down in front of them. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Something, you know, super controversial. Then he tells him to get up and he, and he manifests healing, he manifests the power of who he truly is and who we're called to be. And so Jesus is coming, constantly painting these pictures of who he is. And he's given these messages, almost like they're hidden, but he's setting these stages to manifest the glory in the person of who God is, right? And it's brilliant because he's using even their stories, you know. He comes like in John, what is it, 150, and he's talking to... Philip goes against Nathaniel, right? You know, we've done this. He says, Nathaniel's all, I saw you sitting under the fig tree or whatever. Nathaniel's mind is blown. And he says in John 1:51, like, you're going to see things greater than this. You're going to see the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. In other words, there's a portal. There's, there's heaven has actually become open now. And you're going to watch it be opened, and you're going to watch people go, messengers go up and down. They're going to ascend and descend. They're going to enter into the things of heaven, and they're going to be releasing them onto the earth. And he's using the, you know, these are their stories. Like the way we talk about like Star Wars or whatever movie you like, Lord of the Rings or Harry, you know, whatever. It's like he's using popular cult to them. They know these stories. They've known them their whole life. And he's like, so he's like, I am that story. You know what I mean? And he's just constantly doing this. He comes and he, what is it? The John 2, we've done this recently as well. Is it takes the six water pots of stone at a wedding. Super controversial for cleansing. And he changes them to wine. And it says he manifested his glory. The beginning of signs. He, he changes what's on the inside of these stone pots. And he's manifesting the prophets. Like, you know, Ezekiel 36 25, 6, and 7, we're like, hey, this new covenant's going to come, and I'm going to completely cleanse you. You don't need the water pots. And I'm going to take the heart of stone, and I'm going to put in it a heart of flesh. And I'm going to, oh no, I'm going to put my spirit upon you. He's not charismatic. Christianity is this, right? And so I'm going to do this, and this is going to be the new covenant. He's forecasting these things, constantly painting these pictures, you know. He comes to John 3. That's probably one of my favorite stories in the world. Um, you know, Nicodemus creeps over there by night because he's embarrassed, you know, and we see the John 3.16, but if you back up to 15.14, he says, the way Moses lifted up that snake in the wilderness, such a strange analogy, you know, but the way he, that, that bronze serpent, it had healed everybody, so the Son of Man, here he is again pointing to their stories that they've lived their whole life and saying like, yeah, that was me. You know what I mean? That was about me. Saying it without saying it. The rulers of this world would have, they never caught on to it, you know. But he's manifesting himself constantly. And he's sitting there telling Nicodemus, right, in that night. I love the quote right there in John 3 with Nicodemus having his mind blown about being born of the Spirit and all these different things, prophesying the new covenant. And what he says, no one has ascended 
to heaven except for he who descended from heaven. That is the Son of Man who's in heaven. And you see a mind being blown. It's like nobody's actually gone up there except, except for the one who came down from there. And he's actually there right now. And I'm actually right here in front of your face right now. And so we hear this, this multidimensional God being blowing Nicodemus's brains off. You know what I mean? Just like, what's going on, man? You know what I mean? But he's constantly painting the picture of God is bigger than you thought. But he's also much more humble and close than you thought. He's, he's different. And the rules and regulations and a lot of, and a lot of your, um, what do they call it in, in college, uh, prerequisites you feel like you have to take, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Prereq- that's what they're called, right? Yeah. I dated a cheerleader in college. Sorry, Nicole, but I did. And, and, but she had to take a lot of those prerequisites, you know what I'm saying? You know? Because she wasn't, wasn't all that, she wasn't there, but it's like, she's like, you're like redoing high school, but in co- you're paying. It's kind of like a penalty, you know? You know? what it is <coughs> but uh you know so um but yeah sorry back 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 on target um so um you know so yeah what are we talking about dude i don't i'm lost no but so he, we have all these prerequisites and this rejection that we've somehow presupposed upon him towards us that's not there because the poisonous fruits bled in and he comes living in such a way that is so controversial to them, but it's because he doesn't have those. He doesn't have those qualifications. He qualifies. He empowers. You know what I mean? He, he doesn't see the way we see them or the way we've believed that he's seen, him, seen them. And that's what's crazy about it. That's what's crazy about him sitting there telling Nicodemus, no one's going up but the guy that came down and the guy that came down is sitting in front of you now, but he's also there right now. It's just like, which one are, what, what are you? Are you a they? Are you a, what is this, man? You know, it is the multidimensional. It is, it is, it is our, it is the, it is our God, man. You know, and he is outside of time and space, but he's so very personal and humble. And he is so willing to manifest himself. And like it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, when we see him without a veil or a misconception, when we, when we read Moses, 2 Corinthians 3, 15, 16, 17, 18, they read Moses or the Old Testament with a veil and they don't see who he is, but the veil's taken away in Christ and we see what Jesus is like. It unlocks the whole Old Testament. And oh my gosh, he's not bipolar. No, you know what I mean? And he's not a pagan bloodthirsty God. He made that point, right? With Abraham and Isaac. I provide the sacrifice, not you. Yeah. So anyhow, so yeah, so that's good. But he's, He's, he's doing this, and I want to do this again um, today because I think it will really combat some of those things, that shame and that, that fear, that stuff that, that has crept in, and it, and, it, and, it, and it manifests itself through rejection, which is an ugly thing that the enemy, I feel like, uses to keep a lot of people bound. But I want to talk, uh, maybe that was a long intro, but I want to talk first, before we get to our story, of one of these Old Testament stories that will look through the lens of Jesus Christ it won't be hard to see him, but it's just three verses. And it is the story of Genesis 48, just three verses in there. When Jacob, a.k.a. Israel, the guy who saw Jacob's ladder when he, when he laid his head down on the rock, right, and fell asleep and saw the angels ascending and descending, um, called it Bethel and, and um, you know, uh, Genesis 32, right? Um, this guy that tricked his dad for his, for his blessing and all these things, dressed up hairy like his brother, this guy, Jacob, who, who ended up wrestling 
with the angel of the Lord, the person of God. That was actually um, Genesis 32. The latter was Genesis 28, sorry. Got to get those things straight. Them, uh, them, you know, they'll come after you for that. But, uh, you know, it's just like, here's the guy that a lot of these stories have been lived out through. You know what I mean? The latter in Genesis 28, the, the wrestling around with the angel of the Lord until he blessed him. And the angel of the Lord, God himself, Yahweh incarnate, Jesus himself in the Old Testament, wrestled him and touched his hip, right? You know, all these beautiful stories. Changes his name to Prince with God, the inheritor. Um, this is the story of him on his deathbed. It's not a sad thing because he's passing off, he's blessing his lineage, he's blessing his family. And, and, and we won't teach the actual story, but it's Joseph who's, who's basically almost like, he's almost up there with Pharaoh in Egypt and he's bringing two of his sons. Some theologians, they believe they're twins. I'm not sure. I think that makes it very interesting and I think that's probably the case. But Joseph is bringing his, his little baby sons on his arms. So they're both little at the same time, probably twins. And he's, and he's, and he's leaning them out to his dad, Israel, or his, you know, um, to, to receive the blessing of this patriarch. Um, but his dad crosses his arms. Amen. Remember this? And he, and he puts one, on, one hand on one and one hand on the other. And he starts to bless them. And it's such a beautiful thing. And Jacob tries to stop him like, no, 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 he's the older one. And Jacob... You know, because if, if you know the story, he was the second twin and he's got the blessing. And Jacob's like, no, 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 no. It goes like this. It goes like this, you know. So it's cool, right? But um, he says something about God that I think is brilliant. He says in verse 15 and 16, when he blessed the kids, the babies, he says, God, before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked. That's the God of my fathers. The God of my true lineage, where my blessing comes from. The God who has fed me all my life long to this day. The God who's been my shepherd. The one who's led me in truth. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil. May he, is how that Hebrew, is kind of how it's written there, it's singular. Bless the lads, bless these boys. And so we have this once again. This three, it sounds like he's talking about these three people. This God of patriarchal father type figure of God. This God who's like the one who leads in truth. You know, the spirit of the Lord, you know, that leads us into all truth. And then the angel or the person, the one who's been my redeemer, you know. And see, now we're looking back through this through, you know, through obviously the four gospels. And with the mindset of 2 Corinthians 3 and saying like, we know who this is. And he's saying, may he bless the lads. You know what I mean? May he bless them. He's all of them. God is one, you know. But he's, but he's also designating these. And, and it's really cool if you're, you know, that, that Trinitarian kind of, kind of concept there. Anywhere, let my name be upon them. And, and he blesses these guys with this God that, that, is, that is personified in these three different ways here. Um, but skipping to verse 22, he blesses them. But then he blesses Joseph, his son, and he says, Moreover, I've given to you one portion above all of your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and bow. So he blesses his sons. He's blessed his sons. He blessed these grandbabies. You know what I'm saying? He speaks of this, you know, this triune being, which is like, what is this, you know? Um, they didn't know, you know, he's, he, he's, his walk with God 
And then the end, and also, by the way, by the way, I've given you this extra portion of land and it's going to be important for you. And it's very important for us because it's what we come to know as Jacob's well. And so now we're going to, if, you know, if I was going to do this like a movie, which I want to try to watch this like a movie if we can, um, I'm phasing out of that. He says, he, he blesses the kids. He blesses the, um, and then he blesses his son, Joseph. And he says, and I've got this piece of land that I blessed you with also above my, and then we see a picture of that land. And then we see a time frame switch and you see some thousand, you know, some thousand year later, whenever it was, boom, that plot of land. And here's the scene for today's movie. And it's Jesus and Fatoni, the woman at the well, you know, such a beautiful story. So here's Jesus. He's manifested himself at Jacob's ladder. He's manifested himself, you know, the serpent on the, I mean, he's done all these things. He calls himself the way, truth, and the life, the doors of the tabernacle. He says all these things that are triggers to the bad guys or to the Pharisees and the religious, but they're enlightening to, to, to all of us. And, and now he shows up to that plot of land that was this special inheritance having to do with God coming down through the lineage. And this, I believe, yeah, I believe is, is very important for us to watch today. And that's what I wanted to go to. So we see this and we come into the, to the, to the movie and it's, when Jesus was, was literally stepping into leaving Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria, a place where, you know, Samaritans, because of some wars and some things that had happened, they were known by a lot of the Jews as, as half-breeds. You know, you're not really pure. You're not really in our lineage. You don't really inherit what we've inherited. And, um, you know, there's a lot to that. But they had come back into their land, the Samaritans, and were really judged by Jewish people. You know, it was, it was a racial thing. They were half, they weren't really us. They're not really the chosen people. There was a lot of ugly stuff there. Um, but a lot of times they didn't like Jews either because of, you know, the reverse rejection kind of thing that happens, you know? So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sikhar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave his son, Joseph. So there we go, we're, we're back there. That's John four. It says, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So this is a lunch break for Jesus, but the disciples are actually going into the town where more people are, the market or whatever, to get food for them, right? And so this is, this is brilliant. This is, you know, I tell people, I read the Bible for, for years because I knew I was supposed to, and I had encountered God in so many ways, but I never really understood the Bible. This is the first chapter that I ever read that something lit up to me and I saw it like a movie. The first one was right here, this story. And it clicked to me. And then, you know, after this, James happened and the book of Acts happened. It just started to click, click, click. But, but this right here, I remember reading this probably 20 years ago and it's just something like, wait, about this part of the story. And so maybe it'll be interesting for us as we're seeing God in the flesh, but also limiting himself as the firstborn of many brethren. So cool. So Jacob's well was there. He, he sits by the well and a Samaritan woman was one of the people that was out there drawing water. Again, remember, culturally, they didn't mix. There was a lot of judgment. There was a lot of beef there. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, wouldn't look a girl in the face. They wouldn't look a girl in the eyes, you know, you know just so that they wouldn't, you know, her lust or whatever wouldn't, wouldn't mess with them. 
because she was the one with the problem and not them, right? You know? So Jesus is coming rewiring a lot of these things, okay? So Jesus comes and he sits down and he starts talking to her in verse 7. Give me a drink. Hey, could you get me a drink out of that well? <laughs> this is good. And he says, um, his disciples had gone away in the city to buy food. Then the woman says to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, let alone women, you know. So she comes up and imposes prerequisites or disqualifications on herself from him to herself that actually were not there. Rejection about herself onto him that were not there. <laughs> oh man. But Jesus says something that's so incredibly beautiful. I've been reading this this week. I've been doing this for 20 years. This, this thing I've taught probably more than anything else is this story. And there's so many ways. So I'm going to try to take, take it from the lane of what I'm trying to talk about today. Because there's so much in this, right? And I don't want y'all to be here all day. But I could do that. <laughs> but even just reading this this week, I was weeping through it, man. And that ain't me. Don't tell anybody that, okay? Um, but that's just not my style, man. But it just touches me, man. Watching this thing like a movie. It's like you, you have a movie you watch over and over again and it still gets y'all. You know, not me, not really. After you listen to your favorite song, after about 100 times, it's like you almost can't really hear it. It's cool and all, but like this thing's still potent to me because it's alive. Um, so Jesus' answer when he asks her for a drink and she, and she puts out all this rejection that supposedly he has towards her, towards him, which is really just defense. Rejected people reject people as well. Jesus answers and says something to her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Amen. And so this is so, so brilliant and so interesting to me. And I remember when I was in my early 20s and I read this the first time, I saw it. You know, when somebody talks in the third person, that is a strange thing, right? That's what professional wrestlers do. Can you smell what the rock's cooking? The rock's going to do this. It's just like, it's just ridiculous. You know, it's strange to talk in the third person. That means there should be three people there. But what I'm going to tell you is this, is this is Jesus living as a man possessed with the spirit of God. He's manifesting something for us to see as the firstborn of many brethren, one who is led of the spirit of God. And so he's allowing there to be differentiation. Even though God is one, yes, it's just like, you know, the angel who has redeemed me and the one who's led me and the one who is the God of my fathers. It's like, it's like which one, so which one of you is that coming out the mouth? Because this is strange. Yeah, and if we had three people up there, we could do an acting session where one of them could be the woman and say, well, how, why should, one could say, give me a drink. Then the girl can say, why should I give you a drink? Then the third person could come and, hey, if you knew who he was, and point to him, if you really knew who he was who was sitting here, you would have asked him for a drink. We got three people talking in one sentence, right? Or one, one, one passage. And it's, it's, very, it's very interesting, but you're seeing somebody who is led of the Spirit of God. This is what it looks like, you know. This is somebody, they, singing about, they were singing about what, uh, creating room or creating space. This is somebody on his lunch break, the time when you're not doing anything, actually doing something incredibly valuable, right? And so here he is saying something, and 
if you can just see him set talking about this, if you knew who he was, the gift of God, which is the Spirit of the Lord. We see this throughout the whole New Testament, the gift of the Father. And um, if you knew who he was, you would have asked him and he would have given you something that you really, really want. And uh, uh, it's like, if you had eyes to see who was really sitting in front of you, if you really knew who I was, you couldn't just see me in my cover. If you saw how much I, if you knew how much I love you, you would, you would have had no problem. Actually, instead of me asking you, you would have been asking, you would have lunged for me. If you knew that daddy was here with his girl, who's living in stuff that's got her in complete pain and rejection, you would have been like, oh my gosh, it's you. You would have lunged. But he's, but he's in his, he's in his costume, man. You know, he's, he's, he, he looks just like a regular Jew. He's in his meat suit. You know what I mean? He looks like a regular Jewish dude hanging out over there and they're just like, what is happening here? You know, <clears throat> Jacob's well is actually there. The well of inheritance of the father is actually there sitting by, <coughs> excuse me, a well of stones and clay and dirt and water. The real one, not the snake on the pole, the real one that heals. You know what I'm saying? Not the ladder from the dream and the, and the angels. It's like the real one that go the in and out of heaven. And like, yeah, if you knew what was going on right now, girl, you know what I'm saying? It would, it would, you, would, you would have been coming to me. As soon as you saw me here, you would have been coming to me. And um, if you knew what I really thought about you, and he drives it home so, so wonderfully because she's like, sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water you're talking about? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? And see, here's this thing. We're not half-breeds. This is our land. We're Jews too. This is our inheritance too. This rejection is bleeding out of this girl. And she's defending, and it seems mean, but it's not. Because dad sees you're hurting. And I'm not going to let you, saying that I'm rejecting you, cause me to reject you. Because I'm actually here for you. This is something so sweet when you look at it, man. And um, are you greater than our father Jacob? <laughs> you know, this is the guy that said in John 8, before Abraham was, I am. Before Jacob's grandfather, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I used to meet them guys, man. I wrestled with Jacob. It's what he could have said. It's what he could have said because it's him. And, um, uh, you know, I put him down, put that boy down. Got his hip cranked, you know. Um, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well to drink from himself um, and, his, and his son that his lifestyle? And Jesus answered and said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Like I'm doing something beyond your capacity to even understand. I'm redeeming you and everyone else, but I'm coming to you. So beautiful. The woman says, sir, give me this water that I don't have to thirst and I don't have to come out here to this well and draw water anymore. We don't know if she's being facetious or if she's being serious or just like, or she's just entertaining a guy talking in the third person, which is strange, you know? <laughs> Honestly, right? To which Jesus says something. He says, well, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. I don't, I'm not married. To which Jesus says, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, and that you have spoken truly. 
the woman says, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. So it's like, okay, you're the real thing. You're the real prophet. But even then she kicks into her religious mode, you know, the religious gears. And um, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you, you do say it's only in Jerusalem where you should worship. It's like, it's like, sir, I can tell you're a prophet, but we're supposed to be included too. We're supposed to be included too. The yearning of her, her, her rejected heart is bleeding in front of him, <laughs> you know? To which Jesus says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You calling him dad? What, are you, what is this? He tells her in verse 22, you worship what you don't know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but listen, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship. In other words, all these, all these boundaries you guys have, all these rules and regulations, listen, you don't understand. The hour is coming and it now is. There's, there's, there's another way. God is spirit. He's, he doesn't matter what your race is. He doesn't matter your rules. Man, like, you know what I'm saying? He is spirit and those who worship him, who are created in his image. So what does that make us do so in spirit and in truth? Does that mean we act really weird when we, when we do music and worship? No. We're, you're welcome to do that here, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone or hit anybody, you know. Um, but this is talking about following the Lord and yielding to him in our whole life says it again, God is spirit. Those who worship him do it in spirit and truth. The woman says to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. Something, this thing is welling up within her. I know that he's coming. He'll tell us everything. Jesus says what? I who speak to you am he. Like you found him or he found you. How you want to do it? You know? This is a wonderful story. You know? Here's somebody God coming into their life, and he's so very close. There's something that I call the lie of separation. Well, sin separates you from God. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Well, we'll fight all day, me and myself. No, but it doesn't, you know. What's Colossians 1 say, 121? It says, you were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, but now he's brought you very close to himself. This veil, this mindset, this thing, this thing that Adam took on himself that's, that you know, forecasted rejection on God to us, that forecasted separation. Where was Jesus all the time? He's the embodiment of Yahweh. Who was he with? The, the most clean people. Because, cause, cause, you know, your sin separates you from God. Or was he around those who were lost and owned the fact they were lost? We're okay with it. You know what I mean? It's different. He's different. He's the embodiment of God. He's the fullness of deity. Everything that he was. John gets pulled into that same portal, into heaven, falls on the ground like a dead man, and Jesus shows up with his eyes of fire, holding stars and all these kind of other trippy things. It sounds like, you know, it's just, boo, you know what I mean? And John, his best friend that leaned on his chest, falls to the ground like somebody that's dead. Hears his voice like a multitude of waters. And Jesus comes and touches John. He says, hey, buddy, like, hey. And he, and, he, and he gets him, get up, get up off the ground, man. You know what I mean? 
I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the first and the last. I'm the ancient days. I'm outside of time and space. I was dead and I'm alive. I'm Him too. Like I'm Jesus. I'm your, I'm your guy. You went through the whole cross with me. Nobody else did but you. Remember? Behold your mom. Behold your son. Like he was there at the end. You know what I mean? John 1 gets written after that. That's the real order. John 1 gets written. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God, and He was God. All things were created by Him and through Him. In, in Him was light. His life, His light was the life of men. All this John 1, he's rewriting Genesis. In the beginning of the, was, was, was God who created the heavens and the earth, and He divided the light from the darkness. Now John's saying the exact same thing. In the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and He was God. Like, you must understand that Jesus is fully God. Yes. He's the Son of God, though. But yes, I know. But I, Yes, I know. But it's, man, it's, it's, it's bigger than we've thought. And now He's sitting there with this girl, and we're seeing heaven sitting there with this girl. Remember, He just had this conversation with Nicodemus, a chapter before this. Like, yeah, this, no one's ascended, but He who is descended, that is the Son of Man who's in heaven. So His reality is different than ours. And this girl who's completely living in all kinds of sin or whatever, taking on, <coughs> excuse me, the identity of shame and rejection, and she's the one God's picking to hang out with. And this is meant for us to be rewired by seeing it for what it is, man. It just is. That's just what's going on. And all her prerequisites, like, she's like, how are you asking me for water? You know, she's chip diamonding on this guy, and he's just like, you know, if you knew who he was, you would have asked him third person and like, hey, like I've got, I'm here because I've got something for you. You just don't recognize me. Or you would, you would, you would lunge for me like Mary Magdalene's going to after she sees me first and becomes the first evangelist asked for the resurrection. But first, another woman had to become the first evangelist and it was this girl, Fotini. It was this girl right here. And she's like, well, how do you? Because I'm a Jew and I'm a this and I'm a that and I'm a this and I'm a that. And so Jesus comes and I, you've heard it I mean, I've heard it taught a lot where it's like, well, this is a word of knowledge. He had a word of knowledge that he couldn't have known. And it was so impressive to her that she goes into her town, verse 27, 28, and actually tells people about it. But in reality, that's, this is far from that. It is a word of knowledge. But she's, she's throwing out her, her list of why he rejects me. And he gets to the root of, of her true rejection, her relationships. And, it's, and it says, actually, you've said well because you don't have a husband and you've had five and the one you're with is not your, your husband. And he, and he does this thing, which we would see it just reading it without the lens of Jesus thinking that's a mean thing to do, but it's totally not. It's God himself saying, actually, I know all these bad things about you and I'm still here for you. Like none of your prerequisites caused me to reject you. And as a matter of fact, I know all the bad stuff and guess what? I picked you. I'm here with you. This is the love of God. What you're, I mean, you're going to go to hell, girl, if you don't join my club and pay money in the back. No, no, no. He didn't, he's, not, he's not doing this because that's not real. That's good. That, that, that way of, that's not real evangelism. Let's put it that way. You know, the kindness of God leads to the change, the mindset change, which is repentance. And his kindness is like, it's like, my girl, I know all these bad things about you. And none of them face me. None of them have kept me from you. And he's dispelling the lie of rejection and separation that has been superimposed upon him. And he's got it written so that we can see it. Because this is his nature. This is who he is.
And when we're free of this, we won't impose other people. We won't judge other people. People walk around with the fear of man, caring about how they look, how they're coming across, all these different things. And it's all rooted in the rejection of God and their personal self. Because if the most important eternal being in eternity has completely loves and covers you, it does something to your esteem that causes you not to ever look at yourself. And this is what he's telling. You're called to have these rivers of living water flowing out of you, not looking for a place to be filled with water to your needs to be met. You're supposed to be so met that it's, it's out. And he tells her this, and what happens? This girl goes and does it. <coughs> I love verse 27. It says at this point, <laughs> you know, her mind's blown probably. Who knows if she's a mess or what? And he's just sitting there, really God loving his, his own, his daughter, which is just as a dad, I was just like, oh my goodness, man. And, and they come and it says they marveled that he talked with the woman. <laughs> I love it's like, what? They're like, yo, what is he doing? Doesn't he know? This is a bad look for us, man. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? It says the woman left her water pot and went her way into the city. In other words, she, she was coming out to get something and she says, never mind, this isn't important anymore. <laughs> Didn't even bring it back to her, back, back to the city, a Samaritan city. But she goes into the city and she says, come and see this man that told me everything that I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? You know what I'm saying? She, you know, it says, then they went out of the city and they came to him. And meanwhile, his disciples are just like, hey man, don't you want to eat? They're, they're just confused. And he's saying things like, I have food that you guys don't know about to eat. And I do the will of my father. You know, he's saying things that are just like making no sense to these young guys. They're really young. And, um, you know, therefore the disciples are just like, what is he talking about? To which he says this in verse 35, don't say there's still four months and then comes the harvest. Hmm. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they're already white with the harvest. And, and here's this picture. It's like we look over people all the time in our immediate circles that are, that are so valuable in heaven, but we don't see them as valuable on the earth. Well, I'm trying to build my ministry, brother, so I gotta, you know, I gotta get my name out there, and I don't care about some, some dirty lady that's at a well. You know what I'm saying? I'm messing with her. We're trying to get some food on lunch break. It's like, it's like, it's like, don't say that. Don't look forward to my ministry or my breakthrough or my calling or my destiny. It's always right here and right now. Just don't be blinded by the matrix. Don't be blinded by the veil, because the eternal King's not blinded by it, and He's demonstrating it for us. And he's like, you see her as like, oh, you shouldn't be talking to her and all these things. He's like, he's like, hey, listen, this is the most valuable. And it, and it becomes the most valuable. It says, because in verse 39, many of the Samaritans of that city believed because of the word of the woman. And it says, believed in him. <clears throat> many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified that he told me all that I ever did. Because they knew her reputation. So she's coming like, no, no, he know, you know, so when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed with them there for two days. So here's like a racial divide that's getting broke down that wasn't even real. It was foolishness, and he's welcomed into their region for two days of extended meetings and connecting with these people, planting the seeds of heaven and acceptance. Amen. All because of this girl, Fotini, this lady, you know? And... Um, it says in verse 42, Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, but for, because we 
ourselves have heard him and we know that this indeed is the Christ. And this is beautiful. Some people look at that kind of like as a slap, but it's not a slap at all. It's like now we know we've seen for ourselves. Your testimony, what's happening in your life, what's changed you has drawn me towards him as well. And now I know that it's real because it's affecting me as well. Like, oh my goodness, things are different and he's different. But you can see it, the point of this, there's so it's like, oh, you can see, like we can talk about this all day because there's so many different things there. But Jacob's well, the wellspring of life is there. The river of life himself is there. You don't need a well. I'm here and there's something else that's going to come out of you. And it instantly comes out of her and touches the city. And the first mass evangelist, real evangelist, is a girl, you know, which is controversial as well to these people. Just that he was talking to her, let alone, but it's just like, we see, we understand these things now. We can look back at these things and we understand all these prophecies that we've seen. This Joel 2, I'll pour my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. In other words, they'll be connected to me. They'll, the old men and the young men, they'll dream dreams and see visions. This, this new covenant reality is relational. It's redemptive, but it is relational. And that relationship makes disciples because people want what you've got. Because you're walking in a wholeness and in a change that's like, I want that. It's not like, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to all scare them all to go to hell. Tell them, that, but we got the keys to get out of that. You know, then we'll tax them 10%. Man, this will work, dude. I'm telling you, it doesn't work. And you're like, yeah, let's do it. And so the world does that. But the reality is it doesn't do anything. That's not, that's not the gospel. That's not it, man. It's like Jesus talking about go and make disciples. It's like become so whole walking in him, relationally and connected to him, being led of the spirit of God, Living as empowered people that are present in the moment like he was on a lunch break, on a waste of time person and whatever else you want to call it. He's actually starting a, we could call it a revival. I know that word's kind of weird, but it's like we call it a revival, a Samaritan revival. And, and the first uh, real evangelist is Fotini, this, this lady who has a pretty checkered past. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And the transformation, but we're seeing the manifestation of who God is and how he's destroyed the fruit of this other tree and the rivers of living water. Everything that he's saying is about heaven. Those rivers literally flow out of the throne in heaven. In Revelation 22, if you look, read the end of the book, you know what I mean? The tree of life, which is him as well. The river of life, which is his spirit as well. Coming out of the throne of God, where, where he sits as well. You know what I mean? It's, it's you know, but uh, it's everything that he is manifest for people to see. It's Ezekiel 47. The temple that was prophesied in Ezekiel 47, the, the the water that was flowing out of it. And it was an ankle. Then it was to the knee. Then to the waist. You guys read the Bible. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying? But the tree of life's on the sides of that river. Yeah. yeah the Rastafarians think it's marijuana. But it's not. It's Jesus. It's the tree of life. You know? You know? Come on now. Let me twist in the Bible, y'all. But look. The river of life is there with this woman. And he's crushing our perception of who God is. Through the fallen veil of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's the point of this. That's the point of this deal. That's the point of all Bible study. That's the point of all ministry. That's the point of our music. That's the point of our prophetic words. That's the point of our ministry service. You know, everything that we do is to actually manifest wholeness, the wholeness of the new covenant, pointing people to God, not scaring people away from something, but actually, you know, the spirit of God, when he comes, he will lead you into all truth. He is the tree of life. He is the tree of life. You know, there's other, there's extra, you know, the stories of this lady, legend, you know, her name, allegedly, it's, it's pretty historically accurate. Her name's Platini, but there's so many stories about her 
and um, even even going all the way testifying to Nero, one of the most brutal leaders in the world that persecuted Christians, you know, and you know the stories even the old historical stories about the lady, how she was trying to be attacked and tortured, the people that came with her were killed, you know, all these different things, but, but that they couldn't affect her. And um, it's, it's similar, you know, to John the Apostle. When you read, like, Fox's Book of Martyrs and some of these old books, how he was boiled in oil and all these different things and nothing happened to him, so they had to mail him to the island called Patmos because they couldn't, he was indestructible because he went through the cross, and um, I believe that. Uh, but yeah, he's the only disciple that's listed in historically that doesn't, we don't have a death certificate for the guy. You know what I'm saying? But Fotini has that same kind of legend about her. Now we can't stand here and teach it as the Bible, okay? But it, it's kind of cool, you know. And and it, it is historical that she led Nero's daughters to the Lord. So she was planting seeds in Rome years after this, as this masterful, real woman that was in a, the first evangelist. You know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, it's just like, it's brilliant. It, it's, 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 it's written that, that Nero's daughter, her name in the Greek, she, she changed her name after she became a Christian. And I forget how you say it, but it means flower. And so, you know, you have Fotini who's, who's, who comes and she's giving this living water and this flower that blooms. And so it's just kind of cool. But look, man, it's like, you know, our, our um, you know, Catholic, you know, some of our Orthodox brothers they they kind of they sometimes they put a little bit too much mustard on the hot dog we all know this you know what i mean their stories you know i don't know if it's fully true or not but it's kind of cool so anyways i should just maybe we'll cut that out of the teaching so but you had to sit through it you know i don't know but it's interesting to the thought that the river of living water that was in this woman never stopped you know I, now i do believe john never died but that's another thing you know what i'm saying but uh but as far as platini we we don't know but the beauty of this is that God desires that the shame and the fear that we have of him be placed where it belongs to be placed. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, far away. <laughs> far away from us. You know, there's something that Hebrews 10 that we're called to com- have confidence and go boldly before him in knowing him. And not in ourselves, but just like the paralytic that was laid down through the mind, through the roof, by those four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it like breaks through and we realize it was not by strength of our own, but we got set in front of our, the face of our dad who said, your sins are forgiven you. And not only that, now we walk it out as an example in front of all the Pharisees, the, the, everybody, and live this life in a way that's, that touches people, that, that's like reflects to people. My heart is that the people of this church, like our lives stir the pot in every circle that we're in. You know, I'm not talking about passing out tracks or, you know, blowing up a big bounce house downtown and having a hot dog party and trying to get people saved. I'm talking about I'm talking about people living the gospel as those who manifest the image of God in their being and the wholeness, the righteousness with God and, and their brothers is the peace and the joy that is so uncommon in the world without medication. Peace and joy. You know what I'm saying? It's just like I need to have a few beers before I can relax because my girls have stressed me out so hard at the end of the day. Like, like not going to that, but instead of actually having the river on the inside of peace and joy that I don't need a crutch to make it through my life. You know? I'm not, if you drink a beer, that's fine. I'm not hating on that or whatever. I'm not, I'm not trying to make a law here. I'm, what I'm saying is like not being so whole that our, that our joy comes from the Lord because we know we're loved and covered. And so we're not actually looking into ourselves to have our needs met. We're actually looking where we can release that river of living water 
of the Lord Jesus, the Christ within us, the hope of glory that's on the inside because we've come to this reality and affects people. That's the goal. Yeah, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. At least that's what Jesus said. So I think it's probably the way it's supposed to be. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word, which is true. And we thank you that you do not reject, that you've qualified. The key of David, like you, you, you put it on your shoulder, the cross, like you've opened a door that nobody could have opened. And you shut that old door that no one can ever open again. And um, I ask that we would be the ones that live free of the mindsets of rejection. And even where rejection and pain is coming to some of our hearts, Lord, help us to learn how to take things to you in prayer, release forgiveness for where that stuff has come in, become whole in that area, and walk as, as the stall-fed calves that we're supposed, you know, through the community, through our cities, through our families, walking in the peace and joy of heaven in a way that transforms this place into what it's called to be. Let the culture of heaven invade our city. Lord, let the culture of heaven invade our city. The reality of the freedom of your new covenant. Amen. Thank you.